0: Friends, I thought I'd give you some context uh, before we start. Um, it's a bit odd coming to uh, Genesis 12 uh, as a one-off sermon because a lot comes beforehand, and you can only understand what is happening in Genesis 12 uh, if you understand what has come before. And so, I'll give you a quick tour. Uh, if you've got a Bible open in front of you, uh, if you're one of those people that likes prefer a Bible than the um, than the service card, uh, then what you'll see is that uh, in Genesis uh, 1 to 3, uh, who can tell me, who, who are the main two characters who appear in Genesis 1 to 3? Adam and Eve, that's exactly right. Adam and Eve appear, uh, God creates them, and then we have the fall. And in chapter 4, you hear about their two boys, Cain and Abel. And if you know anything about them, well, that ended well, didn't it? But that starts a pattern, that exists for the rest of Genesis. Uh, in chapter 5, we hear about Noah. Uh, he, we hear him described as the only man on earth who loved the Lord and who wanted to live for him. Uh, and then chapters 6 to 9, we hear about the sin in the world. And then we see God judging the world with that awful event, the flood. Uh, In chapter 10, after the flood, we hear about Noah's family and you'd think that everything would be all right, wouldn't you? Uh, But the thing that you discover as you look at Noah's family and as you enter chapter 11, uh, what we see is that we humans tend to dislike doing what we like doing. And so you hear about the people on earth are sinning more and more and more are living in rejection of their creator, which actually sees them all gather to build a tower. And not a tower to honour God, not a a tower to remember the things that he had done for them. Uh, They built a tower, really, just to honour themselves. Now, based on past experience uh, with Adam and Eve in the garden... Uh, with the past experience of sin all over the world, uh, God judging Adam and Eve, and then God judging the world with the flood. How do you think the people of the world gathering to build a tower to honour themselves went down? Not well. And so we hear in chapter 11 that God judged them. He destroyed the tower and he dispersed the people. That's the context ...for Genesis 12. And it's helpful for us to know that... ...because that is what frames the background... ...for what we're going to look at this morning. Friends, it would be good for you uh, to have uh, the passage... ...and the sermon outline. Uh, The sermon outline is helpful if you want to take notes... ...or if you want to know how much longer I've got to go. Um, I'm going to pray for us as we come to look at God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray uh, as we have already prayed this morning... Uh, that this morning as we learn from your word uh, that you will teach us uh, but also please give us hearts that are willing to be taught and we thank you that you are a god who makes promises and may we here this morning be encouraged uh, to put our trust in you uh, the perfect promise maker amen i don't know what type of week that you have had uh, but one thing that has been brought home to me with some force uh, in this past week is that life can have some truly barren moments. Do you recognise that? Life can have some truly barren moments. I'll give you three examples. Uh, This week, I spent some time with a very good friend uh, who is going through some challenging health difficulties at the moment. Uh, As we sat having, having dinner the other night, Uh, This is what he said to me. Uh, There's really only two options. Uh, Either I have brain cancer or I have a a degenerative neurological disorder which will kill me. Uh, With three young children, my friend is facing a barren season. Uh, The truth is that as we sat there having dinner, I didn't know what to say which, if you know me, is something that should come as a shock. (laughs) Uh, This week, I also spent time with two separate families who had loved ones suddenly die. Uh, As the stunned silence crept over the room, as no one knew what to say, uh, all of us were reminded that death is one of the most common and barren experiences that any of us can face. Uh, this week i also heard about a friend marriage who has fallen apart which is one of the most barren situations that anyone can find themselves in often with many others affected as well a life is full of barren moments isn't it i wonder if you've ever experienced one if you're anything like me you've experienced a few well in the same way uh, given the context of Genesis 12 that I just ran you through, in the same way, there was silence in the scriptures as God dispersed the people of Babel over the whole earth. And as we come to the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, uh, there is one of those truly awful, silent, and barren moments in the Bible. A uh, barren is a good description of the world at the end of Genesis 11. Uh, It was a barrenness that was fully deserved and actually of the worst kind simply because it had become a world that was living without the blessings of God. And that's a helpful moment of application for us at the beginning of this sermon and also this sermon series. Uh, This sermon series where we will be thinking about God's plan to send the saving one, the light of the world, into the world where we will be thinking about God's plan to save a hopeless and barren world. It's a helpful moment of application for us because all of us need to realise that there is no worse place to be living your life, no more desolate place, no more barren place to be living your life than outside the blessings of God. Of Five times in the opening 11 chapters of Genesis, we read that God blessed the people of the world. But when you read the opening chapters of Genesis, for every blessing from God, there were the outcomes of the people of the world rejecting those blessings. And it's amazing if you read the first 11 chapters of Genesis how people can miss the blessings of God. I think I've told this story here before. But I wonder if you've ever heard the story of Paddy the Parker. Have you heard of Paddy the Parker before? I'll tell you about Paddy. Paddy was trying to get a parking spot in a busy shopping centre in Sydney. Uh, When he was looking for a parking spot, he did what lots of people do, and he prayed for a parking spot. Has anyone else ever done that? Are people here generally terrified of parking their car in Sydney? I think so. Well, Paddy shot up a prayer. He said, oh, Lord, if you find me a parking spot, I'll pray five times a day. You get where this is going, don't you? He's bargaining with God and nothing happened. So he prayed again and said, oh, Lord, if you find me a parking spot, I'll read my Bible in the morning and in the evening, but nothing happens. So he drove around a bit and he prayed one final time. He said, oh, Lord, if you find me a parking spot, I'll become a missionary. And then suddenly a parking spot appeared right in front of him, and the next thing he said was, Oh, don't worry, God, I've just found one. (laughs) Now, that's funny, but I have to say that in the book of Genesis, it's not funny at all. It's worth noting that in the opening chapters of Genesis, God's blessings received brought life and happiness, while blessings that were rejected brought great sadness. As shame and death followed Adam and Eve's disobedience, murder and violence become the way of life from Cain and Lamech right through to the flood. The binge drinking of Noah then became the sexual inappropriateness of Ham and in Babel the outcome of a life lived without God was not happiness but a dreadful confusion and God's judgment followed. Now, I hope, what you can, I hope you can see what is being said here. Happiness is found in finding yourself living inside the blessings of God and the alternatives are the route to sadness. A Genesis 1 to 11 shows us that life without God is a barren prospect and there's no lasting and perfect happiness found in that place. And this morning, we're going to get a little glimpse into God's plan to undo all of it, to actually save the whole world, which in the end is God's plan to save the world from itself, to save us from ourselves. From the beginning of Genesis, the opportunities were boundless for a creation and a people correctly aligned with God we see page after page that God made this wonderful creation, that it was very good, that it worked well. It had magnificent prospects. But as you read on, the genealogies record a barren refrain of grief, which reflect those blessings that were rejected. And we see this because in the first 11 chapters, as a result of humanity turning its back on its creator, we hear this over and over again and he died, and he died, and he died. If you're not familiar with the opening 11 chapters of Genesis, what you see intermixed with those stories that we learn in Sunday school is a number of genealogies. They are the blood record lines of humanity, and in the Bible they contain crucial bits of information. They're a little bit dry to read read through, to be honest, but they contain crucial bits of information. This is because when you read the Bible, when the genealogies slow down, when the Bible slows down to tell you about the people, you need to take note. We need to take note because God always does wonderful things when the Bible pauses like this. Early on, you see the line of Cain, which is marked by sin, and it is destroyed in the flood. Then the Bible narrows down the genealogies of the world to one particular family line. A one line that becomes the line of hope and it flows through a man called Seth. After Cain killed Abel, he was replaced by Seth and through him comes Noah. Through Noah comes Shem. And then we come to chapter 11. And if you have a Bible, you'll notice at the end of chapter 11, there's a whole list of names and how long each person lived for. But we come to chapter 11, verse 26, and the genealogy of hope seems to pause again, just like it did on Noah, on one man called Abram. Now, you have to forgive me. We know him as Abraham, don't we? And so just... When I say Abraham, just forgive me. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Uh, Abram was married to a woman called Sarai. But if you're looking carefully at this line of hope, at the end of chapter 11, this is what what you read. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. You see, at the end of chapter 11, uh, the genealogy of hope pauses... But even as the genealogy pauses, the line of hope seems to be a barren prospect, doesn't it? This family, just like the age in which they lived, had absolutely no prospect of a happy future without God. If there was to be any hope at all, it was not going to be found in human plans. If there was to be any hope for this family, it would have to come about through a merciful act of a merciful God who will take every opportunity to work the impossible for the salvation of the world. This is because in their current predicament, if they are the line of hope, this bit of information means that the line of hope is not going to go any further. There's not going to be any more genealogy for this couple. And knowing that God is the all-powerful creator, it should not surprise us at all that he also has the power to create out of the most hopeless and barren situations in the world, new beginnings. And that's what we have here in chapter 12. And as we stand here, we wait in eager expectation to see what God might do in this hopeless situation. And this is the comfort for all people today who live in barren places, who find that there are barren moments in life. Our God is a God who can create Even out of the most hopeless situations, new beginnings. Even out of the most barren situations, God can provide hope. And this is what we see in Genesis 12, that God can do these things, and not just back then, but now as well. Because he's the same God back then that he is today, and he is continually creating out of hopeless situations new life. Five times in 11 chapters, God blessed the people of the world and those people kept rejecting him. So as we come to chapter 12, we see God deciding to do something completely different. Instead of blessing the whole world, God is going to create his own people, a people for himself, and he's going to do it through one man, Abram. Because in five times in three verses... Uh, we hear these first-person promises of God. Uh, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, and I will. Uh, Five times in three verses, compared to what had come before, God now focuses his blessings on one man and one family. In 11 chapters, five times he focused his blessings on the whole world, but now in the space of three verses, he will focus all his blessings on Abram and his family. And to him, he would make a sevenfold promise that would embrace all of humanity. And so follow with me as we look at them more closely. Verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 12. God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And what we see here is the same voice that summoned creation into being from nothing. Now summons Abram from the obscurity of confused and divided nations to be his man to build a new nation. But from a human perspective, the nation looks like it's in jeopardy, doesn't it? How on earth could God make these promises when we've just heard at the end of chapter 11 that this family has no prospects at all? Abram's wife is unable to have children. From a human perspective, the future looks completely and utterly hopeless. But when God calls Abram by his grace, nothing is impossible. And what a contrast Abram is against the events of Babel. At Babel, they all gathered together. Uh, essentially, they all formed like a big gang. They didn't multiply and disperse like God had commanded them to do at the beginning of creation. Instead, they settled on the plain of Shinna, so they wouldn't be scattered over the whole earth, which was a defiant act against God that said, we will not be moved. But now God asks a single man to pack his bags, to go to a country he has never even seen. And we see that in Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land. I will show you. I don't know about you, but I'm quite comfortable when I'm in a group. Is anyone like me? I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I support the English football team uh, Everton, who are here at the moment in Sydney, but they were playing against my other team, Sydney FC, when we lived in Sydney. And so they played together. And so who are we going to join? Well, we went and sat with the Everton fans because that's where my dad's family come from. Anyway, English football fans uh, go about supporting... Uh, their team a little bit differently to the way that we do, uh, to the point where it got so rowdy that the police came over and spoke to us and said, look, you're not doing anything wrong, but they don't understand that you're just having fun and so you have to stop because there's going to be a riot on our hands. Simply because of the fact that all these Everton fans from all over kind of Australia had all descended together. When we normally sit in our living rooms by ourselves watching them play, all of a sudden we were all together and we were getting into it and we were enjoying it. Anyway, we took the advice and we, um, and we quietened down a bit. But when you're in a group, the group gives you confidence, doesn't it? If they're shouting at the football and everyone's getting into it, you feel a little bit more confident to get into it as well when you're in the group. There's comfort in a group. There's comfort in lots and lots of people being together. But in this situation, the group was unable to do what God had asked them to do. And so now God asks one man, and we begin to see very quickly the kind of faith Abram has. That amid all the rejection of God's instruction, here is this man who actually obeys God's commands to leave his family, to travel to a foreign land, in order to do what God asks him to do, which is a contrast to what has come before in this book. The people of Babel sought to be a great power without God's help, but here in chapter twelve, we see God declaring that Abram will be great. Because of his connection to him. The people of Babel were trying to be great on their own. But who is it that makes Abram great? It's God that makes him great, isn't it? The people of Babel said, let us make a name for ourselves. God says to Abram, I will make your name great. The people of Babel were trying to bless themselves. God says to Abram, you will be a blessing to others. The people of Babel sought to protect themselves with their own strength and might. But God says to Abram, I will bless you, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Later in chapter 15, in the context of a whole bunch of kings flexing their muscles to show who was the most powerful, God says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Which shows us that what we see in the story of Abram is that there is no better protection than God's protection and there is no greater name than the one that God gives you. You see, being accepted by God means that you don't have to do it on your own because the name that he gives you is better than any that you might give yourself. That despite what others might think, if you have trusted in his son, he calls you one of his children. The question then falls to us. Have you trusted in God's son? Would God call you one of his children? Which is very different to the question we usually think of. Am I one of God's children? Would God say that you're one of his children? Or are you trying to protect yourself? Friends, this story tells us that that is no protection at all. Let's wrap up. Whichever way you look at these events, you can't help but see that happiness and hope is only found in the blessings of God. And from this point on, God would focus all his blessings on Abram and his people. And so if you wanted to enjoy the blessings of God, you would have to join the people of Abram. And the rest of the history of the Old Testament documents people who did join the family. You had to become part of Abram's family. You had to become part of that nation, God's nation, the people that he chose for himself. And actually nothing has changed this morning. That if you want to receive God's blessings, if you want to be counted as one of his children, then you need to become part of God's people. You need to join the nation that is Abram's family, which, of course, is Jesus' family. And the good news is that you're invited into the family. There's an open invitation into God's family. Because Romans 8 tells us that this is the experience for those who trust in Jesus. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Of The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. See, Jesus' death on the cross and trusting in that means that you are adopted into the family. And if we've been adopted into the family, Paul continues, by him we cry, Abba, Father. We call God our Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. If you want to be in the blessings of God, you've got to join Abram's family. And if you trust in Jesus, then what Romans 8 tells us is that he is the entry into God's family. Abram's family, Jesus' family, God's family, the family of promise. The family of hope. But coming back to Abram, what a contrast his faith is compared with the unfaithfulness of the people in the opening 11 chapters. Uh, Abram is promised a land he cannot see, he is promised a great nation, and his wife can't have children. And through him, he is promised that a blessing would come to all the people on the earth an earth that was barren and without hope. Would you trust God? if you made those promises to you? I don't know that I would, to be honest. <laughs> because it all seems impossible. But here we learn another lesson from our friend Abram. Because true faith is not a faith if it is in something that you can see. Faith is to trust actually in things that you cannot see. Faith is not living by sight Faith is actually to trust in God for the things that are unseen. That yes, we might be able to join the family now, but our hope is actually in the heaven to come, which we cannot see yet. And what does Abram do? Well, he trusts God and he goes. He gets on with it. And we need to realize also that we stand in a very privileged place this morning. Although the promises of God are not fully completed for us, what we do see is that God did keep his promise to Abram. And so it's right here to see and be encouraged and try to emulate the faith of Abram after reading a passage like this. But I want to suggest that we see something much greater in Abram's faith. Because this morning we need to see most importantly... That as we follow the promises to Abram through the scriptures, what we actually see is a faithful God. And because he is faithful, we know that he won't let us down. And we need to learn that there is nothing barren in the promises of God because we see the fulfillment of God's promises to Abram in that very familiar memory verse, which we find in Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Does anyone know it? Anybody? That's because it's not all that famous. But this is what it says. The beginning of the first gospel which documents Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, we hear that God kept his promise because this is what Matthew 1.1 1, 1 says. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, Genesis 12 is just one promise that God made about the saving one who would come. God made numerous promises to Abraham over the course of his life. He also makes promises to his son Isaac. He makes promises to Joseph. He makes promises to Jacob. He makes promises to David. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we kind of hear of all of them all bound up together. Because it speaks of the two great promises of the Old Testament that God made saying that the saving one would come. One to David, King David, and the other one broadly to Abraham and his descendants. And the promise was this, that from barren beginnings and a world under God's judgment and even a barren woman by the name of Sarai, by the power and grace of God... Would be born the Saviour of the world. And as we begin to think about the Saving One who would come for us over the next five weeks, we're going to see how it all happened. Though we need to notice this morning that the cross of Jesus shows us that the barren heart of human pride evident at the Tower of Babel, well, actually still lives among us, doesn't it? Nothing much has changed for us humans. But in his life, death and resurrection, Jesus would tower over history, reminding us that God can recreate, even out of hopelessness and barrenness, new beginnings. At Babel, we learn that out of the eye of human pride is a narrow, short-sightedness that is only concerned with the age in which we live. But in Abram, for the people of God, the eyes of faith are as wide-angled and long-sighted as the rich, fertile plains of the promises of God, which lead all the way to heaven. In the barren fields of godlessness, the promise of Jesus' death holds out salvation for anyone who would trust. In the barren fields of guilt from sin, Christ holds out to us forgiveness and acceptance in the barren fields of grief the fertile ground of christ's resurrection holds out a hope that if we trust in him we don't live between two full stops but that we have a house yet to be enjoyed an eternal one that's the hope that we receive if we trust in christ friends i hope you get this this morning, we have learned that happiness is only found in the blessings of God and living in them. The alternatives are paths to sadness. And I hope you also understand this. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God can recreate out of hopelessness new beginnings for every single one of us. And so the lesson is to always respond like Abram did, by putting your faith in the God who is faithful, who spoke into the hopelessness of our world, and who actually walked among us, and who died for you and for me. I have to admit, this story is a bit of an obscure place to start a sermon series leading through Advent. It's a little bit obscure, isn't it? Though it's not really. Because this promise to Abram is the beginning of an unfolding series of promises that run right through the Old Testament and into the New that tell us that even in the most barren situations that we find ourselves in, God did not abandon us. He did not walk away from us. Instead, we see in this passage that from the beginning of time, God promised that a saving one would come to fix the problem of sin in the world. And as we continue through the scriptures, we find that this promise eventually found its fulfilment in God actually throwing his lot in with us by becoming one of us. In the story of Abram, we hear that the saving one, the blessing to the whole world would come and in the life and ministry of Jesus, we see that he did come. And that he offers grace and forgiveness to us all by offering us a future that is fruitful and hope-filled beyond measure. And so with that on offer, why would you ever want to remain with your hopes tied to a barren world that can never provide what you're really looking for? Why would you? Because the saving one came so that we can receive life All you need to do is trust him with your life. Friends, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that we read in our passages from from this morning that amidst the hopelessness and barrenness of this world, you did not abandon humanity that you had created. Instead, you promised to set events in motion which ultimately resulted in you throwing your lot in with us by your son becoming one of us. We thank you that in our hopelessness, he came and lived a human life and was subject to human problems. But we thank you that he died for us so that we don't have to face the most common of human problems, death unprepared. We thank you that through his death and resurrection, you offer us a future that is fruitful and hope filled. Though, Father, we ask that you do the work in us to help us trust in him with our lives. Amen.